Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Jake Query, Charlie Clifford in for JMV today. Jake, your thoughts on T.Y. Hilton as soon as potentially this Sunday putting on a Dallas Cowboy uniform. How are you going to feel watching that? Uh, I mean, I think if, you know, what's, I would probably be more comfortable watching it than if he were to have a big game. And I don't know that he will, but if he were to be a productive player, and, and there is some element of the fact that T.Y. Hilton, you know, what what's to me what's interesting, you know, T.Y. Hilton's a great receiver at getting behind the defense. And does he still have, that separation speed to be able to do that. That remains to be seen. Um, but if he does, and if he's able to make a few plays for them, I would think it would be more uncomfortable for the Colts than for Ballard <laughs> because in a year where they have not had anybody really that can stretch a defense from a receiving standpoint, they've had flashes. But I think what you have in the Colts is, you know, three receivers that are – Paris Campbell, give him credit, I think has kind of reinvented himself because we thought Paris Campbell was going to be that guy. Sure. And what we've seen is that he's probably better of an over-the-middle type guy. You know, Michael Pittman has been pretty reliable. Alec Pierce has a really good ability to to catch balls that aren't even necessarily in his vicinity. But if T.Y. Hilton is able to get that behind the defense separation and make plays for Dallas, then there's certainly, because it's a position that no one guy has really jumped out at you for Indianapolis, then there's going to be the question of, wait a minute, this guy was in your backyard and has history, and you tell me again why he wasn't given that opportunity here. But to be fair to the Colts, I don't know that you saw it reliably enough towards the end of his time. So, you know, I wish him the best. He's been obviously an electric player that fans here have enjoyed and seemingly a good guy. And, you know, kind of seemed to me like he'd indicated that he was cool with what you talked about, just watching high school football. Yeah, but that was important to him. Cowboys, it was really important to him. Yeah, I think the Cowboys probably threw him some money he couldn't pass on. And at this point, you know, hell, Charlie, you know, it's a lot easier to do anything for a month and a half, I mean, for any of us, <laughs> to go for 17 weeks, right? So, Correct. You know, it, it, you're probably getting them at the right time. And, and I, I think it is unfair for myself or anybody else to say, well, how can Dallas get him? And the Colts weren't able to talk him back, you know, talk him into coming back. Look, asking a guy to come back for 17 weeks is a lot different than asking a guy to come back for a home stretch. That's fair. And let's be qu- clear about this, Jay Query. T.Y. Hilton on this Colts team, this team still has four wins. There is no immediate change of what has transpired this season with this team, whether T.Y. Hilton's on the roster or not. Would you have gotten out of your seat and screamed your you-know-what off when he ran out of the tunnel for the first time? Sure. Would you have had a couple nice, you know, again, the consistency was not there he didn't have any games last season over four catches. Uh, the burst that we had all seen, really, it seemed like it dissipated, Jake, once 
even that jo- Jacoby Brissett year, he was still pretty hot. The year Luck walked away. But once Phillip Rivers walked in the door, it was kind of the same conversation with Rivers, with Wentz, and it would have been the same with Ryan. Are they ever going to get on the same page with T.Y. Hilton? Or was it just, hey, it's time has caught up with someone who has used elite speed to be a significantly undersized wide receiver my expectation is this is not going to be some fairy tale ending for T.Y. Hilton in, in Dallas. I'm very happy for him that he gets another crack at it, but my expectations very low about what you're going to see over the next month. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I mean, Charlie, there's a long list of players that I, you know, one of the things that fantasy football has done, quite frankly, is I think it has introduced to all of us at some point the realities of brand and name recognition in the NFL. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, you know, we all have that guy in fantasy football that you're like, wow, I can't believe that guy's available. He's <laughs> a big name, but you're thinking about that player in 2018 or 2019. Yeah. And you're like, Oh yeah, that is 2022. And this, and, and the first thing to go, look, I can tell you that when you reach a certain age, the first thing to go is your agility or your immediate straight line speed. And so if you are a player, and no matter what the sport, that is reliant upon those two things, then you're, you know, Reggie Wayne did a remarkable job late in his career of transforming himself from a guy that was behind defenses to a guy that was a sure-handed, over-the-middle, you know, guy. Right. T.Y. Hilton be that guy? You know, I don't know about that. I think we saw towards the end in Indianapolis that, that they knew. and the, You know, it, it tells you something. That when they, it, it says a lot when the organization that knows a guy better than anybody else is in need at that position and never extended an overture. That's not to say he might not get a couple of nice plays in Dallas, and if so, I, I'd be happy for him. <laughs> Give me your perspective on this: the maturation of T.Y. Hilton. Looking back at T.Y. the person in Indianapolis, Jake, the season that Luck sits out. 2017, Chuck Pagano's final year, one of the games late in the year, Jacoby Brissett was sacked 10 times against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hilton, post-game, throws the offensive line under the bus, essentially saying, well, you should tell those guys to block. It becomes a story. He has to publicly apologize. It didn't look good coming from the man ultimately on third on the all-time list now receiving yards and catches. You take a look now at what he provided this team last year I'm willing to make the argument that team doesn't go on that run without the emotional lift of T.Y. Hilton Carson Wentz was under fire not only for his play but his decision to remain unvaccinated the young up-and-coming players Jonathan Taylor in the midst of this historic season as you now know at that point Jonathan Taylor was was not looked at to be the vocal leader Chris Ballard and T.Y. Hilton shared a moment together post-game Christmas night in Arizona. You remember everybody was out for COVID. No one gave the Colts a chance in that game. Hilton had the best game of his season, and I saw one of the biggest bear hugs I've seen Chris Ballard ever give anyone to T.Y. Hilton post-game, knowing that they kept the season alive. The playoff hopes were very much, at that point, looking fantastic. I thought there was a significant progression what did you see over the years from T.Y. behind the scenes? You know, I, I think the biggest thing, first off, I think it'll be interesting. I, I can't remember how many yards away he is from 10,000, but if he was able to eclipse that and do it in a Dallas uniform, I do think that Jim Irsay 
would have. It, it's not going to happen. He, he's he's six hundred plus yards away. Is it that far away? Okay, yes. I was thinking it was like sixty-five, but but I know that you know coming into it, there was talk this year that if he were to play and get reps, that he'd be the you know they'd be the first franchise to have three receivers get ten thousand with mm. the same franchise. That's kind of stuff Jim Mercer would love. But to answer <laughs> yeah. your question, I think that wide receivers by nature have a diva about them. You know, I've seen it a lot. I saw it, and I covered Torrey Holt when he was a rookie. I covered Isaac Bruce on his way out. I covered basically the entirety of Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison. So I've seen a lot of great receivers. And there is an element of not to the level of a Terrell Owens where it becomes toxic, but there's an element of a me-first diva that you need and a swagger that you need sure. in order for a receiver to believe in himself. And I think what T.Y. Hilton did over the course of his career, I think that we automatically assumed that that's what he exuded all the time because a receiver has to have that. And especially an undersized receiver, they have to have that belief in themselves. But in T.Y. Hilton's case, I think he did a really good job for the most part of knowing when to corral that back. And I think he was respected by his teammates. I think that's the biggest thing is I think his teammates truly the respect of him. I think what you saw with Chris Ballard in that hug in Arizona probably was two guys that knew that it was the end. I agree. I agree completely. Because I think that, that Jim Irsay in, get, in getting or, or getting T.Y. Hilton back for one year, I think that Jim Irsay, uh, you know, was essentially – He drove like, that. This is your, he this drove is your party gift, right? Yep. So, one, one more now, victory lap. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I will say this as well. To be fair and to be objective, we have, myself included, been very critical of a number of things over the course of the Ryan Grigson tenure where Grigson aired. But he did have some things that he did well, and one of those was selecting T.Y. Hilton, who, quite frankly, a lot of teams had either passed on or thought was too small, and Grigson got him here, and he had a great career here. So, you know, I, I think he's been a popular player. I think he's been a good guy around town. And I think that what you see in watching him have the humility to just stand on the sidelines of high school football and watch his kid play probably speaks to that maturation of what you're noting. If you're just joining us, T.Y. Hilton going to the Dallas Cowboys, multiple outlets now confirming the news that NFL Network's Ian Rappaport originally broke about a half hour ago. So gear yourself up. For watching uh, a little more Cowboy football than maybe you expected down the stretch. We're still waiting to see just how soon he may be worked into things. Um, but look, Dallas is going to the postseason. There's no question about that. And T.Y. Hilton, in terms of what's left on his list, that would be ultimately finding a way to help the Cowboys get to Scottsdale for the Super Bowl in February and just when you thought you know I I'm I'm on the board of I haven't thought about T.Y. Hilton coming back really since after a month into this year here Jake I thought the market was totally dead for him and that's changed we had the news earlier today after you got off air this morning with Kevin Matt Ryan remaining as the starting quarterback for this game in Minneapolis. Your initial reaction, Jake, on Jeff Saturday, what really felt like the first significant decision of his tenure um, for me, it's only been a month long, but Saturday sticking with Ryan, your thoughts? Jeff Saturday wants to win, and I don't blame him. He's entitled to that. He has to win. Correct? 
I mean, if he wants – listen, is Jeff Saturday going to be the full-time coach? Well, my out, answer to that is no, barring barring right. a miraculous finish here. I don't know how Jim Irsay sells that back to his fan base. I, I don't know, Charlie. I don't know because of the – and it, maybe it shouldn't be this way, but this is the reality. It's just my opinion. Let's just say for the sake of argument that Jeff Saturday wins out or they, you know, like Ron Meyer. Let's go back to this. There have been seven coaches that have been interns in the history of the Baltimore Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. Of those seven, only one was retained as a, as a permanent head coach. That was Ron Meyer. Yep. And Ron Meyer won his final three games after Rod Dauhauer had lost. And I think the Colts might have even been 0-13 and then they – they might have tied one, and then, but anyway, they, they won their last three games of the year. I remember they might have they might have lost his first, and then gone three in a row, something like that. And he was retained as the permanent head coach. So let's say Jeff Saturday goes on a run here. The Colts don't make the playoffs, but they win four in a row, and Saturday's retained as the head coach. With the manner in which he was brought in as the interim, and with the pressures, even though it is not applicable towards an interim tag. To what Jim Mersey, the 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 thought that Jim Mersey kind of went rogue in that decision anyway, mm-hmm. it was difficult for them to bring him in as a full time coach, even with the Rudy rule and everything else, because a lot of those people would say, "Steve, he didn't even care about the Rudy rule; that he was going to be the guy from the get go." Now, obviously, I know that that's not true with Jim Mersey. He hired Tony Dungy. He hired Jim Caldwell. He had Leslie Frazier on staff. He Correct. had Ron Meeks. But at any rate. There still would be a lot. There would be a pretty big PR blowback. So my point being, sure, Jeff Saturday wants to win for the pride, the integrity, the you know, quite frankly, the resume of Jeff Saturday. But I don't know that it would cement him as a long-term permanent coach here. What's interesting about that to me, though, because Jeff Saturday wants to win football games, no question. Does Chris Ballard? Sure, I know that those guys are going to say we want to win games. But I think there are people close to Jim Irsay who have said to Irsay, look, your best interest here is to lose out. Well, certainly. I'm, not, it, saying that they want, I'm the, not saying they want to try to do that, but I think in the back of their minds they know, in reality, that's the, the default feel-good of there is something to be gained by losing out and moving yourself up into the draft spot. And, and you know, in that regard, I, I, I will go back to what I said this morning. I have nothing to base it on other than tea leaves. But it feels to me like there might be a fork in the road with two different avenues and two guys within the top that want to take it two different directions. Well, that wouldn't be anything new because this is just the latest in a series of disagreements, at least from the outside looking in. How many games does Jeff Saturday need to win to feel good about having a chance? To me, that would be a three-and-one finish. We're ultimately talking about you know, how the, the final four weeks are going to go. And I I would think that barring a three-and-one finish, you know, there is not going to be enough oomph there for, for Jim Irsay to parade Jeff Saturday and take that interim tag away, for better or for worse. Maybe he is the right guy. But to me, optics matter to this fan base now. After the quarterback carousel with the uncertainty with Chris Ballard, you know, this is not a hey, let's let's try this for one more year situation. Jim Ursay knows he has to straighten this thing right now. And risking that by keeping 
Saturday around. Um, to me, this this is just not the time to do that. What? How many wins, point blank, does Jeff Saturday need to rack up here over the final month to feel like he has a legitimate chance, Jake? I don't know that he has to because I think that if Jeff Saturday is going to be considered for next year, part of it may be by default. And by that, I mean, uh, there are just too many. I think there are too many balls in the hopper that can bounce too many ways to say definitively. And I'm not trying to dodge what is a good question, Charlie, but uh, I think this. You know, the Indianapolis Colts, to an outside observer, Coaches want to take jobs where there is the number one thing where coaches want to take a job that they look at above the weather, above the stadium, above the salary, above everything else is who's the quarterback. Urban Meyer was lured out of the college ranks and off television to go take a job for the Jacksonville Jaguars because they were about to draft Trevor Lawrence. Right. Like quarterbacks are what are what magnetize coaches. So if you're a coach and you're looking at it and you're like, wait a minute. So Indianapolis has no quarterbacks. Maybe they're going to draft a guy that is not a sure thing in the NFL draft. And if they do, he's going to play behind the line that last year, like battered two different guys, you know, on a regular basis. They've got a good running back, but I'm not sold on their receivers. They have an owner that appears to have meddled in things. They have a quarterback on the roster who last year only played because the owner came in and mandated that he do so. Yeah. You know what? I got news for you. Like, TV still sounds pretty good. So, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know how many – I mean, Jim Irsay will pay a lot of money. I think Jim Harbaugh is the clubhouse leader. I think that they probably would pay him. He's making eight, I think, right now. Wouldn't surprise me if they paid him ten. Yep. Depends on how much they've still got to pay other people. Depends on whether they got to buy out Chris Ballard. He's still around. I personally think he'll still be around. I agree with that. Also, so there are a lot of – there are just a lot of things in the mix, but – Saturday becomes, and I've used this analogy before with the Purdue search, Charlie, but you went to Miami of Ohio, right? I did. Okay. You grew up in the Chicagoland area, correct? Yes. Okay. So how many schools did you apply to out of high school? Three. What were they? Miami, what are the other two? IU and Iowa. Which one was your safety school? Uh, Well, I it was between IU and... Miami, so Iowa would have been the safety school. And you're saying okay. Jeff Saturday is now your safety pick. Worst That's case, correct. if yep. he's not blown away by anyone, if Harbaugh says no, if maybe some top coordinators who you really like for for next year say no, then hey, worst case, I got Jeff Saturday, who I only put him in this spot because I know he has the goods, and let's face it, Jim Irsay said, all right, I'm not putting my best fighter in the ring to get pummeled. Well, you got to look who's on the other side with that eight-week stretch. I mean, this was this was a very daunting task. And he could cover himself by saying, look, this wasn't a fair crack at it. I'm giving him another year. That's true. We're bringing in – yeah. Uh, Jeff Saturday to me – I mean this as no disrespect to Jeff Saturday. But Jeff Saturday is their safety school. They know, if nothing else, if no other coach, you know, I mean, look, I love Steve Alford, right? Steve Alford's my all-time favorite Indiana basketball player. I mean, I'm, I I love, love, love Steve Alford. But let's face it, Steve Alford took the, got the job at UCLA because like seven different coaches turned it down, right? Steve Alford was their safety school. He wasn't going to turn down UCLA when he's coaching at New Mexico. So, <laughs> right. same thing, right? Like, so Jeff Saturday's the guy that they know 
probably in the end. So to answer your question, I don't know that Jeff Saturday needs to win any more games because it just depends on who else would want it. Now, could we have an issue here with the timeline of all of this? The Colts season's going to end. Uh, the college football national championship game. I'm looking for a date on that. Uh, Kyle, when is that? The 9th of January. January. Okay, so it's all really, it's the first week of January here where maybe you have an answer from Harbaugh in the waiting, assuming, let's assume Michigan makes the national title game. He has to coach a game on the 9th. How do you end your season and not give a definitive answer on Jeff? What do you say? Hey, we're going to huddle here for a few weeks and make a decision, buy some time. Don't you think that could get a little murky? Potentially, if you're saying, hey, let's not tell Jeff he's in or out yet. Let's wait to hear. Or are you saying this is the business of the NFL? These conversations are ongoing. And certainly by that point, you will know if Harbaugh is interested or not. No, I think, you know, the cold season ends. Right. And then once the cold season ends, then I think everybody, quite frankly, I think any coach would know that they've got to go through their due process. Certainly they've got to conduct interviews of, and I do think Leslie Frazier will, will get a hard look. I think he's a, a legitimate. Rightfully candidate. so. Yep. Um, so, you know, they got a couple of players, they got a couple of people aside from just Harbaugh that I think they'll take a look at. So I think Jeff Saturday is aware of the fact that it's not going to be an imminent hire but rather one where they go through the due process of vetting everybody and then they come to a decision. And I think everybody would expect that to take, you know, a couple of weeks to three weeks, whatever it might be. For those of you hoping for, you know, a little time off once this season wraps up, that will not be the case around Indianapolis. Jake, a final thought from you. We had Tony East on earlier, Victor Oladipo. We've listened to what he had to share during his pregame shoot around first game back at the field house since being dealt early in 2021 when he checks in tonight what response do you expect for Oladipo to receive oh I would say probably 70 percent jeers and 30 percent light applause I mean yeah you know the reality is whether you're a man or a woman whichever it is whether your preference the other way is man or woman whatever the bottom line is Deep down, even though nobody wants to admit it, when you first run into your ex a year after you guys broke up, you're kind of happy when you see they gained 15 pounds, right? <laughs> you're like, yeah, cool. And that's kind of what Old Depot is, right? I mean, the reality is that he is not Paul George and the fact that I don't think that Oladipo's departure now in hindsight, I think things have worked out to the point where people are not longing for what could have been with him. I agree. Because it worked out and you saw what, what happened with him. He took a gamble on himself and he lost. He became a diva here. He changed. His personality changed for certain. Um, but he did play collegially here, and there are people that will still hold on to that. So I think there will be some some people that will voice to him their their displeasure as to how it ended here. But in the end, I think they'll think to themselves, yeah, all's well that ends well. That's fair. 63 regular season games for Victor Oladipo since that in- initial knee injury in 2018. It has been... Simply a sad story for a former all-star here. And uh, I know... He listened to the wrong people, brother. He listened to the wrong people. I know. I I know much of that, too. And we were all scratching our heads a bit uh, towards the end there with, with some of the decisions. But that's life, Jake, right? I mean, you're all... Yeah. When, when you are living in the bubble that is you know that that level of fame and success um 
you know, things things become, I, I would assume, a little more difficult. And, you know, I, I don't think that makes Victor Oladipo a bad person in any way. And, and certainly at the time when he injected what he did for this franchise, as you know, that was very important. Very important. Jake Query on the that. Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Jake, appreciate you. Are you going to the game tonight? You know, I don't actually know that yet. I haven't found that out. I don't Come on. Think, what are you doing? I don't think I'm you going. You are busy. I, I, don't, I don't make those decisions. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> waiting on a text. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. i gotta, I got to make a phone call now and find that out, but I don't believe so, no, Dan. But we will be talking about it plenty tomorrow, and Rick Carlisle joins us tomorrow at 9.30 on the show tomorrow morning. Fantastic. Kevin and Query, you'll hear from them bright and early. Jake, thank you for your unique perspective on T.Y. Hilton and also getting down to the brass tacks of not only the quarterback spot, but ultimately who's going to help make the decision on which quarterback will come in in April alongside Chris Ballard. Uh, Jake, always great to hear from you, man. All right, Charlie, don't steal any of the headsets. I got to be on one of them. (laughs) Yeah. I'm walking out of here like a klepto with five of them. Thanks, buddy. All right, brother. Jeff Rabjohns on his way back from Vegas. It was an eventful weekend, Rabby, from start to finish. Jeff, what do you walk away with, not only from what happened on the floor, but the entire event this weekend? Give us a glimpse to what it was like being a Hoosier fan on the strip. Well, I mean, there were uh, there were thousands of IU fans uh, in, in Vegas. Uh, the MGM Grand um, to to steal from one of my pictures on the uh, on the message board. It was all IU shirts and cowboy hats. <laughs> the, the rodeo was also on hats. You walked around the MGM, you walked around the casino, you walked through the lobby, and that's all you saw. You saw <laughs> IU Hoosier shirts and you saw cowboy hats. And I don't know how many people it was, but there were thousands of people who came. Um, I mean, they were they were all over the MGM. They were all over New York, New York. They were all over different parts of the Strip. Um, you know, and Indiana's always traveled well, but this is just another example of how well they do travel. Um, and there were people. I ran into people from New York, Boston, uh, Dallas, Houston, Indy, LA, <laughs> Minnesota, Oregon. You know, other guy who flew down from Oregon. I mean, people were people were all over. So I think the biggest thing was it showed once again you know, how Hoosier Nation actually travels. Sure. Uh, as far as the game on the court, I, you know, the biggest takeaway was it's a different game if Jalen Hutchino plays. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a one-point game. They, you know, Jalen Hutchino's got the back issue, so he was out. And it's a one-point game. Xavier Johnson gets a second foul, goes to the bench. Arizona goes on a 17-0 run in, in four minutes. Right. You know, the finals 89-75, that's 17-0 run. That was the game. That was the game. Because yeah, IU made a run. IU, you know, you know, they cut it within five. They cut it within three. They had a chance, but the 17-0 run was the mountain that IU couldn't quite over, overcome. And if Jalen Hudspino is playing, there's no reasonable way to believe Arizona goes on a 17-0 run because Jalen Hudspino, arguably, is IU's best point guard, being under duress, remaining calm and just getting IU to calm down and run offense possession after possession. You know, there's some things Trey Galloway can do really well. He can be a helpful player. Uh, Outplaying Kirk Arissa at the point guard in a game like that. No, no. Unfair to ask him to do that. That's not, you know, I mean, Kirk Arissa is a phenomenal guard for many reasons, but speed and quickness are are on the list. 
So my biggest takeaway is I do think it's a much different game if Jalen Hutchinson plays for Indiana. Jeff, has Xavier Johnson gotten better? We all came into this year thinking, okay, will he take the next step? What have you seen in the early going this season on that subject? Yeah, I think he's better. Um, I think maybe the expectations were a little too high because of how he finished last year, his last six, eight, maybe ten games. He was incredible. He was very good. Yeah. Um, you know, he shot it well. He played with some calmness. And, and to me, that's one of the biggest things for Xavier Johnson is just to, you know, stay calm. Um, he, he can get a little sped up. He can get a little emotional. Um, other teams really talk trash to him to try to get him off the game. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it was at Rutgers, you know, even, oh. even, you know, the, it, it's, it's going into a TV timeout. Those guys going off the court, you know, they're, they're, they're walking by Jalen or walking by Xavier Johnson talking trash. Yeah. I mean, team mind games. Him. Yeah. They're, they're looking at him going, that's a guy who you can, you can get him sped up. You can get him, you can get into his emotions. Um, but you know, he, he is playing pretty well. Um, you know, I think you look at, you look at the shooting, you know, he's, he, he's there at 48.8% on effective field goal percentage. Um, not right. great, but not terrible. You know, his, 10 his and five. 30, yeah. Right. His just rate's 30.1, you know, top 75 in the country. Um, but I think people thought he was going to – they looked at the end of last season and went, okay, now he's going to make a whole nother jump. And he hasn't made a whole nother jump, but he's been solid. He just he – just, he, just, he can get sped up. And he is at his best when he stays calm. You're right. He's his own worst enemy at times. Jeff Rab, johnspeaks.com, IU beat writer. You follow Rabby both digitally uh, and on the road all season long. Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Rabby – should IU fans look at the loss to Arizona, a team that many now in the Midwest will say, okay, I might pencil them in on my Final Four bracket after seeing that 40 minutes of basketball in Vegas. Should IU fans say glass half full? They fought back in the game. They could have been out of it at two or three different points, playing down a guard, playing with Johnson in foul trouble, playing undersized, or – should they say glass half empty? I just saw this team ceiling this year. There are no strategic fixes running into big fellows like that when Trace Jackson Davis is playing undersized in the post and knowing that maybe shooting the consistency on the outside still isn't at the elite, you know, make a deep run in March level. What should IU fans feel as of tonight? Um, I guess to answer your question the way you proposed it, my guess would be glass half full, and here's why. You know, in that game, IU shoots 40% from three. They were 10 for 25, exactly the same thing that Arizona shot, and Arizona's backcourt's better. The backcourt that Arizona put on the floor versus the backcourt Indiana put on the floor. There's more talent there. Take mm-hmm. Jalen Hutchpino off the table, obviously, because he didn't play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and here's another thing. You know, Mike Woodson made a big deal about Indiana, Arizona's bigs outplaying Indiana's bigs. Yeah, okay, but let's look at it for a minute. You know, Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson got 27 points. Tabellas and Ballo got 36 points. Okay, right. so that's a nine-point difference. But Arizona got Tabellas 16 shots. IU only got Trace 10 shots. Pretty significant difference there. 60% more field goal attempts for their best player than Indiana got for its best player. If you are a team that's dependent upon post-scoring, which IU is most of the time, then you have to give your All-American post player more than 10 shots. Yeah. You know, Battle is a power player. Trace's game is speed and quickness. They are completely different players. But, Charlie, like we saw last year when IU beat Kofi Coburn in Illinois in the Big Ten tournament, there are ways for an offense 
to use a post player's speed, quickness, pogo stick, pop off the floor to beat the more powerful player. You know, we saw the middle roll, a lot of other things, some of the way they screen with, with Trace mm-hmm. for Xavier Johnson. You know, there are ways for speed and quickness to beat power. And, yeah, Trace, Trace, Trace had a bad game. He did. Um, you know, 11 points, you got to get more than that from your All-American. I also think it's also fair to say you got to get your All-American more than 10 shots. Yeah. You know, so a little bit of this is on Trace. A little bit of that is on Mike Woodson. And, you know, they've done some of the things with the middle roll, the soft roll. Um, they, they, they didn't use it. Now, maybe they thought they couldn't against Ballo, but we did see it work against Kofi Coburn. And Kofi's not quite Ballo, I don't think, in my opinion. You know, Ballo's MVP of the Maui Invitational. The, the dude is, you know, they can call him. He was, Jeff, he was fun to watch. He is fun to watch. He is, he is a great spirit about him, too. Yeah, he plays with joy. Yeah. You can tell he's having yeah. fun playing the game of basketball. Yes. But so th- that's why I would say Indiana fans should feel glass half full because there are other ways to get your best player shots. And, you know, your guard, who is the best under the rest, Chifino didn't play. It was a three-point game with like five minutes to play, five, six, whatever it was. So, you know, I, I don't think if, if you're Indiana, if you get everybody back healthy, I don't think you're sitting there terrified if you run into Arizona again. I'm not saying you would beat them, <laughs> but I'm saying I, I think you could clearly give teams like that a game. And there's no question, Arizona's Final Four good. And whether they get there or not, luck of the bracket, how things break, sure. who's on in the second weekend, all that. But Arizona talent-wise, she's a legit Final Four contender. Sure. Okay, you can make a case. <laughs> if they don't lose to Utah, they might be sitting right there. I, I was going right to say, now. Jeff, they they're number one. Yeah, you're right. If they're still perfect, there's no way, you know, they, they would supplant. It would be a 1-2 Arizona-Purdue situation right now. Jeff Rabjohns is here. Charlie Clifford in for JMV on the ride tonight. Jeff, you mentioned joy, and it has been blatantly obvious how much more fun this IU team is having than it did two seasons ago and further back from that. What has been the biggest change that – Mike Woodson has done for the psyche of this team. It just feels like for the first time in mid-December, there's a good IU team that's having fun, that believes in itself, that has a star. This is a totally dream scenario, I think, if you were a realistic IU fan when Mike Woodson took the job over, now a season and a half in to have it lining up like it does. Am I wrong or am I right about that? I mean, it's pretty good. You know, I don't know if IU fans would agree with, you know, number 14 in the country being the dream scenario, but but it's certainly. I mean, after. Excuse me. It's really <laughs> very, very, very. It's very good. Yeah, we're sitting here 10 games into year two. Right. The top 15 in the country. You're right. And That's Archie Miller booed off the floor in Indianapolis after fading out of the Big Ten tournament and missing, you know, remember, that was a year and a half ago. Okay, that's that's where this program was in its home city with the easiest opportunity to just get into the dance and they couldn't do it. Uh, So that's where I'm going on that one. I see. Yeah, no, that's that's very fair. That's very fair to look at it and say a year and a half after the IU head coach got, you know, fire Archie, fire Archie, fire Archie. It's sitting there top 15 in the country. Um, Yeah, that's really good. To answer your question about why. I think Mike Woodson does a really good job of when it's time to work, it's time to work. When it's time to teach, it's time to teach. Mm-hmm. It's time to get in the scouting report, it's time to get in the scouting report. But it's also okay to have fun hanging around with each other. Yeah. It's okay for there to be light moments. Let me tell you a story. This is a story that was relayed to me from somebody else. 
But this is a story I was told, and I think it kind of answers your question a little bit. There was, there was a time in practice where uh, they, uh, they I'd stop for a water break or whatever, where, you know, going from one drill to the next. Sure. And uh, Mike Woodson is trying to explain to the freshmen about what it's like to play in Assembly Hall. And Malik Renault says something about, man, we played at Montverde. We played at big games. <laughs> Mike Woodson stops, smiles, looks at Malik, looks at everybody else, goes, son, you played in front of two, three hundred people. <laughs> and he points up to the balcony. He goes, you play in front of 20,000 here, son. <laughs> and That's good, Rob. He laughed. That's he looked good. back at Malik, winked at him. And, you know, so I think there is a – I think Mike Woodson – understands, you know, there are times when it's okay to smile, even if it's for, I don't know how long that, 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 that moment would have taken that I just explained, but it's, it's, I think, I think Mike, I think people like playing for Mike Woodson. They enjoy it. They, you know, yeah, he can be demanding. Yeah. He can get on the butt in practice and all that. But that story I just told, I think that sort of explains why there is, a, there is joy now uh, for, for the IU players. They like each other. They like playing for Woody. Did you see him singing karaoke in Vegas? Uh, did you see this video that surfaced this weekend? I saw the video, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, you got to Google that if, if you haven't caught that that from Woody. Rabbi, out of here on this one, much like Arizona, look, I haven't seen a ton of Kansas this year. What should IU fans expect Saturday in one of the – if not the most hostile environments in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, uh, I get a chance to watch them in per- person when they came through Indy. Uh, I think Jalen Wilson jumps out the most. Six foot eight wing, really knows how to play, can shoot it, can drive it, can score it. Um, Kevin McCullers uh, been very good. He's another wing right out there at six six. Uh, Grady Dick. Yeah, he he's the eight. name that he I've heard the most shoot. about. I saw him a lot because he played on that new prep school circuit. Yeah. that uh, Jalen Hutchpino and Malik Renault played on with Mount Bird. Yep. And he played for a school called Sunrise Christian. And you talk about a guy who knew how to hunt threes and make threes at six foot eight. I, I walked away after watching him in person last year down in Florida for three three days in a row and went, I'm not too sure he's not the best shooter in high school basketball right now. Wow. And so he, he, he's definitely a problem. Um, their inside game is solid, but I actually think their guards and the wings – with a combination of they can handle it, they can drive it, and they can shoot it, I think that's really the strength of this Kansas team. And the Kansas is another team you look at. You know, they're sitting there top ten in the country, number eight, and you look at them and go, they're, they're, they're final four threat. I don't know if they're final four good, but they're final four threat. Should IU fans brace for impact Saturday? What's the latest with Hood Shafino? Is there a chance that he's back out there? What's the sense you get? Well, uh, what I know is they're hopeful. Okay. That's how I was present. Yeah. They're hopeful. But it's only Monday afternoon. Um, nobody knows right now one way or the other. And I don't know if they're going to know for sure in the next 24, 48 hours. My guess, and it's just a guess here on Monday afternoon, it's probably going to be later in the week before they know for sure. Jeff, one more nugget from you. Trace Jackson Davis's hand. We continue We continue to see it taped. Is this just maintenance at this point? What percentage would you put him at? Is this impacting Trace Jackson Davis at the moment? I don't think it's impacting much at all because the tape is only around the uh, – first of all, it's not shooting hand. Right. The tape is only around the thumb. And then the meat of the hand, you know, he can use his four fingers to catch the ball and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he doesn't shoot a ton right-handed anyway. Uh, I've been told he's actually made uh, baskets around 
around the rim with his right hand. Um, so, you know, he, he got the thumb wrenched back in, in, in a scrimmage. Um, so I really don't think much of anything right now. It's just basically tape to give it additional structural support. Jeff Rab, johnspeaks.com, the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Rabbi, safe flight back and looking forward to reading whatever comes out of Lawrence this weekend, all right? Enjoyed it, man. Take care, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate you. That is Jeff Rab, Johns, the best in the business when it comes to IU hoops. Joining us now on the hotline, Tony East, Forbes.com, Pacers writer. Tony East, one former Indianapolis favorite leaving town, another returning tonight. You were at shoot around this morning, Victor Oladipo on the floor at the field house for the first time in nearly three years. What did you see? What did you hear from Oladipo this morning? Yeah. How fitting the T Y Hilton news comes on the exact same day, Charlie, but it was honestly a little bit of shock value to see Oladipo on that court in Gamebridge in a different uniform, just because, It's been so long, right? 640 days since the trade, and yet he's only played in 35 regular season games in that span, some with the Rockets, some with the Heat, and never come back to Indy. Not to play, but even traveled with the team because of various injuries that he's had. So today is the first time he's been back, and it was really interesting talking to him, right? It's going to be an emotional kind of game for him. He went through a really hard rehab and then had to do the exact same challenging rehab again on the exact same quad, and he was joking around that, a lot of people he knows assume he's from Indiana with all the ties he has to the state between, you know, the two Sweet 16 runs with IU and being a two-time all-star guard for the Pacers. So certainly between some high highs and some low lows here in Indiana, it's going to be an emotional game for him in the heat. How does he envision tonight sounding and looking? What were his expectations for tonight? Yeah, I don't know if he necessarily <laughs> expects any sort of specific reception. There's, there's, almost certainly going to be some sort of tribute to him and the seasons he had, right? He was still a part of the last Pacers team that won a playoff game, right? That 2017-18 team that pushed the Cavs to seven games. But, you know, I I think that for him, the emotions are going to be kind of a rush, right? This is where his career really took off. And it's different because he's played against all of his former teams with his new team except for the Pacers, right? And right. The, lowest, the, the lowest point of his career came – on that fateful January day when the, the quad rupture happened against the Raptors. And, you know, I, I think he went through a lot of low points in that time, and he's had to do a lot of work to get out of that from a mental perspective. And I think he does have a lot of love for the Pacers fan base. But at the same time, I think he's got to know what this reception could kind of be like with the way it ended and the reporting about him apparently joking around with other players about joining their team on the floor and uh, things like that getting traded just you know, after 10 games of that, that season, you know, it, it's going to certainly be an odd reception. I think there will certainly be a mix of cheers and boos considering some Hoosier faithful will be there. So I don't know what he's necessarily expecting, but I, I have to imagine there's going to be some of both the, the cheering and the booing, if I had to guess. Tony, we agree on that. I don't think this is going to sound like it did when Paul George came back for the first time. Do you get a sense that Oladipo, now years removed from what happened, his exit here, is aware of potential missteps he took publicly or more non-verbally behind the scenes and how that changed his standing in this city. Was there any admission of regret from Victor today? Yeah, you know, I kind of asked about how being back would would be for him emotionally after because what he said a lot was, 
he was surprised to be traded by the Pacers, right? That was something he said. And I don't. And we're all looking was. at Victor. Come on, bud. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Hang exactly. on now. And, and the thing that made it interesting is, you know, at first I thought maybe he was saying surprised that he was traded to the Rockets, right? Not that he was traded away, but I don't think it was that. I think he was, he, he's claimed that he was surprised to be traded from the Pacers, which is fascinating to me. Like, in a contract year, if you're not going to commit to a franchise beyond that season, they have to consider trading you, right? That kind of applies to the situation they're in with Miles Turner right this second. So, uh, fitting for this game, that I think the regrets he would have is, like, all the questions he's asked are retroactive. So, you know, he can only answer what's asked of him, and he's already been traded. But saying he's surprised, you know, I, I think – Every player would like to be more careful with their words retroactively when they talk about how they felt after a trade or things like that because you never know how it's going to come off. And maybe he was surprised to be traded when he was traded or to the team he was traded to. But, yeah, you, you just said it too. Like there's no way he could have been actually stunned to be moved from the Pacers given the situation the team was in, both contractually and with his injury and you know Sabonis' emergence at the time and all right. sorts of things happening and Karis LeVert becoming available, all of that happening at the same time made it a thing they had to do. So, sure, maybe he was surprised, but I think he certainly uh, regrets the, the, maybe some of the word choices that he used in the past, but he did not say anything about that specifically today on the floor. We reminded folks moments before you joined us, Tony, just about what Oladipo's gone through. It's easy to forget that he re-ruptured that same quad shortly after being acquired by the Heat in April of 2021, and he's gone through this, in some ways, an unprecedented rehab twice by National Basketball Association terms. What is your outlook for Oladipo going forward, Tony? Yeah, it is certainly jarring. Like, if you remember when he had the injury here, there wasn't even a lot of reference points to talk about the injury from a local perspective, right? Tony Parker had it with the Spurs, but he was a lot older at that time, and he never really returned to being the same player. So it, there was a lot of questions about what it would look like for him. And then he came back and was pretty good for the Pacers. And his start to that season before he was traded away from Indiana was actually part of the reason they were able to get so much for him in, in terms of getting Levert, which they then flipped for other picks, because he was so solid at that time. But rupturing it a second time, I think, really is a, is a back, like a, a painful thing for him because he didn't look the same when he did play last year. He only played, in, I think, 14 games for Miami last season. He played in more playoff games than regular season games. But then this year, you know, he had something called knee tendonitis, not tendonitis, but sounds like that, tendinosis, I think. Anything was, that sounds worse than tendonitis cannot be good. That's right. It was his <laughs> other knee that had the injury because he was using it so much more basically is what the, what my impression of that injury is. Right. So there's a lot of long-term things where when you have to rehab the same knee twice, like your body balance is sort of shifted. And for a guy that was at his best with the Pacers, so reliant on speed and athleticism, something that he head coach Eric Spolster talked about with Vic today, they're hoping to get that back from him. Right. He, he's got to have that back to be as effective as he was when he was at his best, but it's really hard to recover from, two knee injuries and get back to that without compromising your own body so he's got to find ways to be effective that aren't the same ways he's been so good throughout his entire career he's about to turn 30 in a, a year or so so you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he can recover from that and if he can ever be the same big that he used to be it is the question going forward and i know um look he's already 30 uh, upon further review uh-huh. and it's just tony it is one of the more interesting chapters that um certainly not near the top of anything 
in in terms of Pacers lore, but in terms of what could have been stars that could have turned into, you're always searching for who is the next Reggie. Was it going to be Jermaine in that team? You knew what happened there. Was it going to be Victor? Was it going to be Paul? And ultimately, now that that rests on Tyrese Halberton's shoulders. Tony, we have a minute here. Your thoughts on not only tonight, but Steph Curry and the Warriors coming in Wednesday night. How do you see the next two nights going for Rick Carlisle's team? Yeah, they've done a great job this season of responding, right? They were one and four to start the season, bounced back, got over 500. They had a couple tough games on the road trip and then found a way to get a win against the Lakers. The totally undermanned win over Golden State specifically last week, right? They've always found a way to respond. They just had an absolute stinker of a game Saturday. Probably (laughs) their worst performance of the season against the Nets. So they'll be looking to respond once again in two emotional games, right? You play the Heat and one of your former stars in Oladipo, then the champs on Wednesday. It'll tell us a lot about the Pacers if they can continue to respond behind Halbert, Matherin, Turner, all those guys that have been good recently. Tony East, appreciate you. Read you all the time, Forbes.com. Again, Tony has you covered. Appreciate your time. We'll see you at the game tonight. See you over there. You got it. Thank you, Charlie. That's Tony East.